go. Good morning. How's everybody? That's it? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so my name is Kenton Bryce. I am one of the lay elders here at Providence Road. And I consider it uh, all joy and an honor to be able to be up here preaching to you this morning from this text. Um, before we get into the text, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I ask for you to pray for me as well. Uh, I don't do this very often. And um, I just want you to be able to engage with the Word of God. And so I want you to pray to that effect. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you uh, for the ability to come together freely, uh, to come listen to your word freely, uh, to come together to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray that you would use me as um, just a vessel for your word, Father, that you would bring your word through me. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working through me and in this body, in this congregation that you would uh, use your word to affect our hearts, our minds, and our souls. God, I pray that if there's anything I say that is not from you, God, it would be quickly forgotten. And I pray that if there is a word that you have for us this morning, that it be quickly remembered. Um, Lord, use this time to edify and encourage our hearts. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we get into the text, I have two quick things I want to mention. One, I do want to acknowledge it's Father's Day. So happy Father's Day. I'm a father uh, four years going now, and it is one of the biggest joys of my life. Um, I absolutely love being a dad. And the further on I go in my career as a dad, uh, I just realize more and more joy in it. And I know that's not the experience for everyone in this room. So I just want to say if, if this is a hard day for you, uh, that's okay, right? And so if that's hard for you, come talk to me after the service, talk to one of our elders, or find someone next to you and let us lament with you. But what I will say is if that is you or anybody in this room, there is one true father, right? God the Father, and he loves you deeply, so deeply. He sacrificed his own son so that you may be adopted into his family, Right? That's how much that father loves you, and so please know him and know that to be true. I also want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you so much, and I should probably start my timer, or we're going to be here for like three hours, so sorry, guys. Uh, just a sec. I just remembered that. Um, I do want to say thank you. So last weekend, the staff and elders went on a retreat, and uh, it was because of your generosity through your time and gifts and efforts that we were able to do that, and we were free knowing that this place would be taking care of itself on a Sunday morning. So uh, thank you, Russ, for preaching. Uh, I listened to it, and I loved every minute of it. So thank you so much uh, for allowing us to connect with one another as a staff and elder team in the hopes that it would build for generations to come in this congregation, right? So thank you. I just want to say thank you. And, and talking to people after in the past week, uh, that time period exceeded our expectations, it was beautiful, and it was great. I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart so that we can come back and bless you. Okay, let's talk about Jesus. You guys ready to talk about some Jesus? Come on. You guys are killing me. All right. There we go, right there. Thank you. All right, so uh, Jesus uh, steps in, and he makes this incredibly bold statement. Uh, in my mind, this is one of the boldest statements he makes in Scripture. It says, I am the light of the world. What an incredible statement, 
right? Uh, and the reason why it's so incredible is if you start pondering what light is and what it does, you start realizing the magnitude and gravity of this statement. So I want to walk through a few things that come to my mind when I think about light after pondering about this for the past couple of weeks. Uh, first, light provides guidance, right? Light is needed to show us the way, right? Without light, it's complete, utter darkness, and we don't know where to go. We don't even know if there's a path. We need light to show us, to guide us in our way. Light also provides hope, right? We, we, we have this in our common vernacular, right? Uh, hard, hard week at work, there's light at the end of the tunnel, right? Uh, something's hard in our lives, like, hey, there are silver linings to that dark cloud, right? Light signifies hope. Right. Anybody watch Frozen 2? I watch Frozen 2. Love it. Great movie. Uh, <laughs> so, I like Frozen 1 more. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Frozen 2, there's this scene where Anna and Olaf are stuck in a cave, and they don't have any hope. They feel hopeless. And then Olaf, before he flurries away, spoiler alert, before he flurries away, sorry, ooh, <laughs> before he flurries away, he sees a light coming from a crevice in the cave and says, look, a way out. That light is the hope that Anna needs to continue to go forth, right? Light also provides protection. Uh, light exposes what is dangerous in dark places as well as wards off danger, right? You build a campfire. Why do you build a campfire? Maybe for a weenie roast, right, or some s'mores, but you also do it because you are warding the danger off. You can see now into the darkness, and you're telling any nefarious creature that your deeds will be exposed if you come into this circle of light, right? Uh, I love the 80s because I'm a child of the 80s, so I haven't seen Top Gun. Please don't spoil it for me, but it's the same movie, apparently. Um, but uh, there's some commercials from the 80s I've been watching randomly. One is The Clapper. Anybody remember The Clapper? Yeah, right? Clap on, clap off. Uh, there's a great commercial, The Clapper, where they clap because they hear like a rustling in the bushes. The lights pop on. The robber's just like, oh my gosh, right? And he runs away, right? Because light protects us, right? Evil deeds are seen, and it wards off evil. Uh, light also uh, provides energy. Now, I'm no physicist, right? But I've heard and I've read that light is essentially, quote-unquote, pure energy. There's no mass to it, but provides all this source of energy for our being, for our world, right? Plants need light for photosynthesis. Without light, photosynthesis doesn't get to happen. Otherwise, we don't get oxygen, right? So that's a problem. Um, but light also provides energy to us. Uh, so if you, anybody from Seattle? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Okay, good. So uh, not good. It's okay. Uh, my brother lived in Seattle for a while, went up there, and it's, it's pretty gloomy most of the time. And they actually bring in artificial light to a, a challenge, uh, heal and, and give energy to them uh, to uh, treat seasonal affective disorder. So light also provides energy. And light does provide healing. Uh, I did not know this, uh, but apparently there's light therapy for wound treatment. If you have a bad wound, they will use light to help your body heal. In the recent, this past week, there was a new research study published that said they are using light to treat cancer. Amazing what light can do, right? Light is this amazing property. And finally, these two kind of go hand in hand. Light provides truth and definition, right? Light provides truth and definition. 
Light illuminates the darkness so we can see the way that things are, right? right? Light illuminates so we understand what the truth is. Lies live in darkness, and we need to bring the light to bring in truth. And light also provides definition in the same sense. Light controls the atmosphere to know what is true and right. right? In photography, I'm not a photographer. Uh, I have an iPhone, and so I'm now a photographer. Uh, But lighting, it says, is a key factor in creating a successful image. Without the right light, you would not have the right brightness or darkness. You would not have the right tone, the mood, or atmosphere. Right? You want the truest image possible, you need to turn up the light right, to understand what you're looking at. And so all these qualities are in light. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, have those qualities in your mind, because I believe that's what he's saying. I am the light. I am the one that provides guidance. I am the one that provides protection. I am the one that provides healing. I am the one that brings truth and definition to its fullest capability in this world. Right? Now, I want to set us up for the setting here, uh, because the setting is really impactful, because I think all that's true, but once you realize what's going on here in John 8, 12, it makes the statement incredible. This is, like I said, one of the most incredible statements in all of Scripture about Jesus, and he says about himself. So we are, let's, set, let's do the setup real quick. So uh, we are just coming off the heels of the Scripture, in the Scripture between uh, John 7, 53 and John 8, 11, which is the woman caught in adultery. Now, Jeremy did a great job of unpacking that interlude uh, a couple of weeks ago and why it's there and what theologians think about it. But a lot of theologians think, hey, 812 comes on the heels of chapter 7, right? And so in chapter 7, here's what's going on that we've unpacked already in the past month. Uh, Jesus stands up and says, hey, if anyone thirsts, come to me and I will give them living water, right? And this is done at the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And there's two main ceremonies during this feast, uh, for the for the Jewish people, the first is the water ceremony, and G- and, jo- and that has been unpacked already in our sermon series. Uh, and so that's where Jesus is making this statement about water. And then all of a sudden, the Pharisees get really upset. Remember, you guys remember this? And they want to go arrest him. And the officers are like, "We can't arrest this guy. No one has ever spoken like this man before." And then there's this inner <laughs> this there's exchange between the Pharisees and Nicodemus, and the Pharisees are like. Dude, who is this guy? And Nicodemus is like, we need to arrest him. And Nicodemus wisely points to due process. He goes, hey, in our law, don't we have it to where we need to hear a man's testimony before we arrest him? And here's what the Pharisees' reply is in John 7:52: Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee, Period. And then theologians would say the very next thing that would actually come up is when Jesus says again, I am the light of the world, all right? So that's the frame, right? That's the frame. And so I want to explain this Feast of Tabernacles and the, the second ceremony, which was the ceremony of light. It's incredible to think about, okay? So you have the ceremony of water, then you have the ceremony of light. And the, I think we may have a slide on this. Uh, the picture, uh, Jacob, you got the picture up there. And so this is the idea in the temple, right? I found this uh, just kind of searching around. But the idea is there's four candlesticks in the court of women. And in the court of women, these four candlesticks had four bowls on top of each of them. And they would hold 60 liters of oil, 
And these candlesticks were basically columns of fire that are 75 feet high. And they would light these things every evening during the Feast of Booths. And then men of piety, here's what the quote is, men of piety and good works used to dance before them with burning torches in their hands, singing songs and praises. And countlessly Levites played on harps, lyres, cymbals, and trumpets, and instruments of music on the 15 steps leading down from the court of the Israelites to the court of women. So here's the idea. There's this massive party going on during the Feast of Booths every night celebrating light. And Jesus steps up on the last day of that feast and looks at those things smoldering and goes, I am the light of the world. Like the gravitas of that statement is huge, right? Huge, right? (laughs) So he's basically pointing up there and saying, all that light you're celebrating, that's me, right? I not only give guidance, protection, I am that. And what are they celebrating? They are celebrating and they are remembering the exodus. They are remembering through the wilderness, being led by the pillar of fire from God, right? So Exodus 13, 21 through 22 says, And the Lord went before them, this coming out of Egypt before they're in the desert. And said, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before his people. Right? This is what Israel is celebrating. Further in uh, Exodus 14, we see this more. We see that it says, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. So coming out of Egypt pillar of fire in front of them, guiding their way, and that's what they're celebrating. They're also celebrating this moment. When that pillar of fire comes between them and the pursuing Egyptians to protect them, right? This is what they're celebrating. Further on in Exodus 40, uh, 34 through 38, I'm just going to read this whole thing. Uh, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because a cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys." So in the wilderness, what they're celebrating and remembering is this, right? The pillar of fire led them out of Egypt, protected them from the Egyptians, and then told them where to go, when to go, and lit up all of Israel throughout the night. That's what they're celebrating. And Jesus walks into this and says, that was me. I am the light of the world, right? Probably pointing. I would say pointing. I would point. Um, but I'm not Jesus. So, but that's the setting. We know that's the setting because he is in the court of women. John 8.20 says that he said all these things in the treasury. The treasury was the court in the court of women, right? So he is standing there, and those candlesticks are still right there smoldering. He says, I am the light of the world. And the Pharisees were probably beside themselves, right? Probably beside themselves. And it's not just them remembering these moments in Exodus, in Numbers as well. It's also the rest of the Old Testament testifying to the fact that Jesus is the light. Psalm 27.1 says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Jesus steps up and says, that's 
me. I am the light, and I am your salvation. Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, and I'll skip forward to 6 through 7. This is probably my favorite one of all the Old Testament passages I'm going to go through because uh, I believe the Lord has a great sense of humor, right? And so remember what just happened. The Pharisee said, is there a prophet from Galilee? What? And then Isaiah 9, 1 through 2 says this, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Next sentence. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Right? Jesus steps up and says, I am the light of the world. You just said there's no prophet from Galilee. I am the Galilee of nations. I am the light of the world. Amazing, impactful. And then further, we know this verse to be true in verse 6. We do this every Christmas, right? Right after all this, he goes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and a righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus is that son, Right? amazing, amazing. He is the light of the world, and all this is packaged into that. Like, if I was a Pharisee, I, I don't know what I would have done, right? I probably would have said, amen, yes, I'm going to follow you. Instead, they didn't. We'll get to their response in a second. But it goes on. So Isaiah 49, 5 through 6, I'm not done with the Old Testament. I promise. We'll be done in a second. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, talking about Jesus, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. This is about the Messiah. God says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus steps up and says, I am that light. I am here to save all mankind, the nations. Right? The Pharisees still can't get it. Malachi 4, 1 through 2. This is my last Old Testament verse, I promise. Uh, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. So I will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Malachi is prophesying about Jesus being the sun, not S-O-N, S-U-N. The light of righteousness will rise upon you, and you will be filled with joy, right? So in the Pharisees' minds, they probably know all this. And when, that's why when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, there is so much gravity to that statement, right? Believe that, that Jesus is the light of the world. And when you read the Old Testament, read it that way. It's amazing, and it becomes more colorful, more beautiful, and you realize this Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Savior of the world. For his contemporary hearers, for the, Old, the New Testament, they also experience this, like the writers of the New Testament. Um, in John 1, we'll start there, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Talking about Jesus. And then a little bit further down, he goes, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is appealing to these images of light, and Jesus is being that light, to saying, hey, he has come into the world so that we may know God. Right? So if you're in this room this morning, I want you to know that Jesus came in as the light of the world so that you may see that light and follow him and not walk in darkness. Right? Now, what's great about this is John is not just being, uh, I would say, a literal about this, right? Uh, so in, in Matthew 17, 1 through 7, we have what's called the transfiguration. So John actually saw Jesus as light. That's what's going through his mind. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's not just thinking of all the Old Testament. He's now thinking of what his personal encounter with Jesus was. Matthew 17, starting uh, verse 1, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. There is no fear in this light. Right? When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, John has seen it. Right? It's not just an alliteration. It's amazing. Do we see Jesus as the light of the world? How does that impact how we approach the throne of grace? How does it impact our daily life? How does it impact everything we do? And it wasn't just then either. Jesus is the eternal light of the world. When he says, I am the light of the world, it is not temporary. It is not just about the past. It is not just about the New Testament. It's about all eternity. In Revelation 21, 22 through 25, it says, And I saw no temple. This is John writing. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God and the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp, its source of light, is the Lamb. Jesus is the light for eternity. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Jesus is the light of the world, not just now, not just in the past, not just for Israel with the pillar of fire, but for all time. All eternity, Jesus is the light of the world, right? So what's incredible about this, uh, it's the most exclusive and inclusive claim at the same time. 
Jesus steps up into the court of women, pointing at uh, history and saying, that was me. I am the light of the world. I am the one Israel who protected you in the wilderness, who told you where to go, who brings healing in my wings. I will be the light of the world for the rest of eternity. I'm it. There are no other lights. It's the most exclusive claim, right? So for us, what other lights are we pointing towards? Instagram influencers, because there's, we have lighted screens, right? Um, what other light are we ultimately going towards? Other religions? Soothsayers? What is it? Because they have no light for eternity. Jesus is the light. That's why it's so important to understand this. Like, through all eternity, Jesus is light, and he is the light of the world. So it's the most exclusive claim, but it's also the most inclusive claim. Because it's for the whole world. He didn't say, I'm the light of Israel. He didn't say, I'm the light of the disciples. He said, I am the light of the world. Right? And so understand this. When he's being exclusive, he's being completely inclusive of every single nation, person, tribe, tongue, everything. It's not just us. It's not just this people in here. It's not just Norman, Oklahoma, or the United States. It's not just North America or Western civilization. It's everybody. He is the light for everyone. He's equal opportunity light, right? <laughs> to use a good legal term. Um, so he is the light for the world. It's the most exclusive. I'm it. You want to go follow Buddha. You want to go follow these other gods or religions. They are not the light of the world. I am the light of the world, right? I am the one that brings light to guide you, to heal you, to protect you, right? For all eternity. Okay, so let's turn to the rest of what he says. I've been talking about Jesus is the light of the world for now 20 minutes. So let's talk about the rest of it because he doesn't just say, I am the light of the world and point blank stop. There's no period there. He goes, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here he sets up, a promise and a reality in the same sentence, right? The promise is this. If we follow Jesus, we will not walk in darkness. It's a reality too. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the light of life. It's not you might. It's not work really hard to gain the light. It's like, no, you do have the light of life, right? That's the promise and the reality all wrapped into one. So if you, as a follower of Jesus, feel like it's dark, just realize inside of you the Holy Spirit is there and you have the light of life through Jesus. Be encouraged by that. If you are going through a dark season, we all do, right? You have the light of life. You have all the tools from Jesus to have guidance, to have hope, right? To have healing. The others around you who don't follow you don't have those. Right? You do. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Right? This is the reality we live in. It's the promise and reality. We will not walk in darkness. Right? For eternity, if you are following Jesus, you are sons and daughters of light. You will not walk in darkness. Now, uh, here's the inverse of that. If you don't follow Jesus, you do not have the light of life. You just don't. That's the exclusive claim. And that may be really offensive to a lot of people. It was offensive to the Pharisees. It cost Jesus his life to make that claim. All right? 
But we live in a world where there's competing philosophies, competing religions, competing, I would say, lesser lights. They are not the light of the world. They may seem wise in their time, but they're not. They won't last for eternity. Right? Martin Luther uh, says those are lesser lights, if they're lights at all. Okay? We'll talk about Luther in a second, because he's fabulous in this area. Anyway, uh, so hear that reality. And then here's the reality for us. As children of God, we see it even from Jesus' mouth in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. He tells his followers, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I want to give a shout out to Burke. He did a great job uh, preaching through this passage, like what, three years ago maybe? And so <laughs> it was really good. Go listen to it if it was still on the podcast did a great job of breaking this down. I just want to point out, if you follow Jesus, you are now also the light of the world. You adopt and reflect his light back out to a suffering world, right? This comes on the heels of him saying you are salt of the earth as well. How do you become lights for those around you, in your workplace, in your families? You follow Jesus. It's that simple, right? Now, it's not easy to follow Jesus sometimes, but it's a pretty simple concept. You follow Jesus, you have the light of life right? Why? Why do you become lights of the world if you follow Jesus? It's for the glory of God. It's not for your own glory, right? It's for the glory of God. So people will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It, we are to be lights reflecting the image of God, the light of God, so others will come to know that light to give glory to the Father, it's amazing, right? We, we have this in us. We have this ability to be lights to those around us if we follow Jesus. Okay? Now, following Jesus is not easy, but it's simple. The Pharisees took major issue with this statement. But the incredible thing, if you read it, says they didn't attack his actual statement. How can you refute the statement? Light itself is self-evident. Did anybody walk into this room and say, oh my goodness, I testify that there is light in this room? No, right? Light itself is self-evident. Now we can point to the source of light, which are really my eyes right now. I shouldn't have done that. Um, but light itself is self-evident. It exists because it exists, right? So that's kind of the idea that's going on here. And the Pharisees cannot refute that he just said, I am the light of the world. How would you? How would you? You cannot refute that light exists because it just does. They go for procedural attack. Now, I'm a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for 13 years. I love procedure. I love myself some civil procedure. I love myself some criminal procedure. I love due process. But even in our rules of evidence and our common law today, in our uh, rules and common law, whatever, I'm not going to break that down. It's not evidence class. Sorry, guys. Robert, you got it? Evidence? Good. He's studying for the bar right now. He's learning all about it. It's great. Uh, so here's the thing. Even in our rules of evidence, we have something called self-authentication, right? When something exists and it just is, and we know it to be true on its face, there's no objection, all right? Even in our modern rules. So this is what the, uh, the Jews are doing, the Pharisees are doing. 
they have this objection. You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So they're not actually attacking the statement. They're going after the messenger. If I can disqualify the messenger, that will inherently disqualify the message because I cannot disqualify the message. We do this a lot in our daily lives. We disqualify messengers because we do not want to face the reality and the truth of the message being proclaimed to us. Uh, when I was in law school uh, back 14, 15 years ago, uh, I will just humbly state all these things. Uh, I dropped a really bad word, a cuss word, I know there's some kids in the room, uh, in a coffee shop. And someone that knew I was a believer sitting behind me, I did not know her, but she knew who I was. And she's like, hey, what's up with that? Let no unclean thing come out of your lips. You know what my response was? It was not humbly submitting to the fact that she just gave me a truth bomb. It was, you don't know me. <laughs> it's even worse. Right? I used a procedural attack for the truth that she was coming to bring to me because she realized what I was saying did not line up with who I was and my identity. She spoke truth, and I attacked her procedurally. We do it a lot. This is exactly what the Pharisees are doing. They're going to do it two ways. First one, they're going to try to use Jesus' words against himself. In John 5.31, Jesus stands up and says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Because they were asking about, well, whose authority to come say these things in Capernaum? And then it doesn't stop there. There's no period. He gives an account for all the witnesses to them. Now, remember, they're forgetting all that, right? In the legal world, we would say, objection asked and answered. Do not badger the witness, right? But no, that's not what Jesus says. I wish he did, uh, but he didn't. But Jay did a great job of unpacking this back in April. Please go listen to that about the witnesses that he had called for that statement. So they're trying to use this statement against him. The second thing they're doing, and Jesus kind of alludes to this later in the passage, is they're trying to use the law against him, right? Now, think about the, the scene here. <laughs> Jesus is the one who authored the law, and they're trying to use it against him. I think that's comical. Um, but they didn't see it that way. And they're trying to use the law against him. In Deuteronomy, you have the criminal law like procedure and for like murder and other crimes where someone's really not allowed to testify on their own behalf. You have to have two witnesses to prove something. And so they're, hey, you're testifying on your own accord. Your testimony is not true. If you go a little bit further, like in the Mishnah, there's actually this statement where it says, um, you know, they kind of break this out for adultery and divorce and uh, a priest who says he's a priest and like we need witnesses. Now, there's funny little exceptions to that, like if a priest says it, uh, but uh, there's no other contesting priest, they'll just take it as true, which is funny because they just ignore all that. <laughs> they just ignore all that, which is great, which I think is why Jesus kind of turns all this on its head, all right? And I love the way he responds, right? He doesn't respond like I would respond. Asked and answered. <laughs> Stop. We're done. Go back to Capernaum. Go back to those guys. I've already detailed out how all the scriptures and the prophets and my works and signs and miracles all point to me actually being the Christ. He doesn't do that. He engages with them in a confrontational but not contentious way. And he actually uses their procedural attack to establish and reaffirm his deity, which I think is incredible. He goes, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. So he's like, I know who I am. 
you have no clue who I am. So you can't attack my testimony. Right? You think you know who I am, but you have no idea. And so this is a terrible analogy, but I'm going to use it. Uh, so I was trying to think of good analogies. I'm not good at analogies in these types of worlds, but I thought about this one. Let's say you really love the Oklahoma Sooners and their football team, right? You love OU football. You know all their stats. You know all their records. You know their rosters. You know their depth chart every year. You know all the coaches uh, or who they were or their names and their records all throughout uh, the history of OU football. You're like, Bud Wilkinson? Got it, right? And I don't know any others than that except for Bob Stoops and Barry Switzer and Lincoln Riley and... uh, Venables. Now let's say you're you're in memorial. So you you know all this stuff, right? You listen to sports talk radio. You're getting all the information, right? That you need to understand OU football. You know you know their history, and let's say you get to go to Gaylord Family Memorial Stadium on a tour, and you're walking around, and boom, there it is, the 2000 National Championship Trophy, right there, the greatest day in the past 25 years of OU football history, right? Am I right? And you're basking in its glory and its glow. Let's say the spotlight's coming down on that crystal ball is just shining light everywhere. And you're just basking like, man, I remember. This is amazing. And you know what? Bob Stoops walks in, visor and all. And he comes in and he's like, he just sits down next to you. And he's like, man, coaching that game was an incredible experience. <laughs> This is one of the fondest memories of my life, getting those men ready for that game and then championing over Florida State. Yeah, the score wasn't great, but man, we brought home a trophy. That's all he says. What is your response to Bob? Because you've never met Bob. You know he wears a visor. There's a guy wearing a visor. What would you say? Oh, I'm sorry. Who else is here to testify to your statement that you're Bob Stoops? No, right? If you were truly in love with OU, you would start engaging with him to say, yes, you are Bob Stoops. Because Bob Stoops knows where he's from, what he's accomplished, and where he's going. If you did not know Bob Stoops, you might question his authority to make those statements and his identity. That's exactly what the Pharisees are doing. They have all the information possible to know who Jesus is, but they never met him. And they would rather not, right? They would rather bask in their information. Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. Did you, uh, I'm sorry, whoever you are, Mr. Visor Man. Are you from Youngstown, Ohio? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. Well, are you, is there somebody else who can tell me? Is Mike around here? Mike, Mike, can you come down here and tell me if he's from Youngstown, Ohio? Verify all this, right? It's ridiculous, (laughs) but we do this all the time. That's my terrible analogy. This is what the Pharisees were doing. This is what Jesus is saying. I know who I am. You have no idea who I am. All right? And he goes further. Because then he, he doesn't just stop there. He is like, okay, let's play your game. You need another witness? I got one. The Father. Okay, now that's like real heavy. Because right? they think they know the Father through the law. And he's like, if you knew me, you would know the Father. Here's my witness. I'm going to call in my witness, my father. But you don't know me, and you don't know him. And he's talking about Yahweh. He's talking about God the Father. (laughs) 
It's like he is highlighting to the Pharisees how dark in their hearts is and how much they do not have the light of life. The Pharisees cannot accept Jesus for who he is because they are walking in darkness. So Martin Luther, I talked about him earlier, he makes his statement about this verse, and he says this. He goes, I am the light of the world. With this message, Christ abolished all other doctrines. Done. And basically, like, let's talk about one of the best doctrines of the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments. It's a doctrine of the Old Testament. The Pharisees were relying on the law and the Ten Commandments to provide them life and light. That is not what it was intended to do. The law was intended to point us to the source of the light, the light. It was to show us our darkened hearts so we would have to fall down and say, there is light out there. It is God. Look at all the scriptures, the prophets, and what they're testifying to. The law is not the light. They had thought the law was the light, and instead it was darkness. And it just revealed their darkened hearts, and they thought they had the light. And then Christ comes down and says, I am the light. And they say, nope, we've got the light. It's called the law. We're good. Right? And that's what's happening here. So in our response, right, I want to sum up by this. Jesus is the light. Believe that. There is so much evidence backing that statement up through all of eternity. If you are still confused on who Jesus is, start there. Start with that statement. If you still have questions about who he is, great, let's work through that. But start with him being the light of the world. And then go look at all the prophecies in Old Testament, New Testament, and eternity that speak to that. And hear the call from Jesus. Do you want the light of life? Follow him. Just follow him. It's such a simple thing. Follow him. That's all you have to do. You don't have to go clean yourself up. You don't have to go find the light source. You don't have to go find a, some other light that will lead you to Jesus. That's not how it works. He says, follow me, and you will not walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. So believe that. So whatever you are looking to in your life, believer or unbeliever, Right? If, you, if you've known Jesus for 20 years or if you don't know Jesus at all, what are you looking to to illuminate your path to give you hope? If it's not Jesus, I want you to rest under this for the next week. Think about it. Pray about it. Consider it. That he is the light of the world. He is here to bring hope, healing, protection, guidance for all eternity. Believe that to be true. Believe that to be true. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father God, Lord, we love you. God, thank you so much for revealing your word to us today, that you are the light of the world, that you care so deeply for us, that you would come into the world sending the light to walk among men. Thank you. Thank you for John for recording these words. God, thank you for revealing who you are. I pray as we leave this room today after communion, God, that we would reflect that light that you are, that we would understand that you are the light of the world. You are the source of all life, and all we need to do is humbly submit and follow you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.